Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Unending Rebuild. Uh, really happy to be back with another episode. Hope everyone had a good 4th of July, saw some good fireworks, had some good food. Uh, I'm super happy to be back with another episode, like I already said. Uh, but today we got a, a fun one. Uh, we're going through some deep sleepers. So some of these guys maybe you hadn't heard of. Maybe they're just completely free in your leagues. But these are guys that are scraping at the bottom of the barrel to try to see where you can get some value. We're not saying these guys are going to be stars, but maybe one day you could flip them for a draft pick. You know, maybe something like that. Maybe you could fill them in on a on a when you got some bye weeks, you got some injuries, and or something like that. We don't know. There's many scenarios where these players could pan out. But joining me as always are Josh Lee and Jared Perlman. Guys, say what's up. What up, guys? Josh Lee here. Um, excited to talk deep sleepers. This is one of my favorite topics um, from a dynasty perspective because I'm the guy that's always on the app uh, looking at the dudes who are less than 5% owned in your leagues. Um, and I always have over 100 transactions every single every single year because I'm always adding and dropping players. Um, so definitely excited to talk through the deep sleepers and learn who uh, Kai's and Promo's deep sleepers are so I can pick them up off the waivers right now. <laughs> what's up guys it's jared uh this is not one of my favorites because i overthink everything pick up some great sleepers and then i drop them before the season starts and it always crushes my soul but hopefully these guys uh james robinson my my greatest find drafted him in a startup in like the 23rd round dropped him before the season started for design divino zigbo because you know i saw a report he was the lead back you hate to see it but this year, I'm not going to give up on my guys. We're going to keep them through the season, and they're going to ball just like James Robinson did his rookie year. So let's start it. Let's do it. All righty, everyone. Let's get into it. Uh, I think I'm going to move this on over to Josh to give his first deep sleeper. So, Josh, you go ahead. Talk about your guy. Uh, and, yeah, let's run it. Uh, this might not profile as a super deep sleeper because he's a rookie. So, um probably owned on a decent number of teams. Um, but I think he's being slept on for sure. Um, and that's going to be Eric Gray. Um, I think Eric Gray's value as a running back right now is way below what it, what it should be. Um, he's the direct backup to one of the only remaining workhorse running backs in the NFL in Saquon Barkley. Um, the Giants took him in the fifth round um, to fill that need that they had because who are the running backs that they have behind Saquon right now? They had Matt Breida, Gary Brightwell. I mean, none of those guys are really doing Not anything. Very good. None of those guys. Sorry, that was Ash. Ash is barking at someone outside the door, I think. Um, but, hey, that's how you know Eric Gray got, oh, got that dog. Um, <laughs> but so I mean a little bit more on Eric Gray he had 213 carries 1300 yards 11 touchdowns as a senior at Oklahoma we all liked Eric Gray in the film review um, and he was pretty versatile he had an 87th percentile target share in college uh, commanding a target on uh, 12% of the offense for Oklahoma pretty solid when especially when Marvin Mims the goat is out there um, so I like Eric Gray I think that there's still risk with Saquon because Saquon Barkley still has not signed his franchise tag. Um, 
I don't I don't think that there's a huge risk that Saquon Barkley holds out, but it's it's a non-zero risk. So if Saquon Bar- Barkley were to hold out, Eric Gray immediately becomes a starting running back in the NFL. Uh, that sort of upside is the type of upside that I like to bet on. Um, and I think Eric Gray could be a very sufficient running back in the NFL, especially in this Brian Dabble offense. Um, a few years ago, I know it wasn't Brian Dabble run, but um, when Saquon went down, um, Wayne Gallman, who was a Jag, was putting up like 20 points a game in this Giants offense because the New York Giants philosophy has always been run the ball. Wayne Gallman became a dude that could be a weekly RB2 starter every single week. I think Eric Gray has that same sort of upside. I think Eric Gray is more talented than Wayne Gallman. Um, and I think that he's definitely undervalued. What do you guys think? Yeah, I really like Eric Gray. I thought he was a, a good runner when we did our scouting reports on him. And uh, he definitely has some decent size to him as well. He's uh, only 5'9", but he weighs 207, so he's got a good BMI. I thought he made some nice jump cuts, nice sudden cuts. He was a, a decent like tackle breaker, really, because he, he was able to be kind of shifty and have blockers kind of get small parts of him. Uh, and, and so I, I think he's like really undervalued because there's so there's so many backups in the NFL that people are assuming might get a few touches here and there and they're going like rounds or like are valued much higher than Eric Gray right now on keep trade cutting in other places. Uh, Eric Gray is going undrafted in in, um, in in like current drafts right now, redraft leagues that are going on best ball mania. Nobody's even thinking about Eric Gray. He's going mid to late, like third round, maybe early fourth round. And there is a non-zero chance Saquon holds out. And that like, there's no one else there to take that role besides Eric Gray. I think the Giants, you know, they said they thought he was better than a fifth round pick. Um, they would have taken him earlier if they had a chance. Who knows? Because they didn't. But uh, I think Eric Gray has a real chance to be, yeah, it, I mean, even better than Gary Brightwell in that kind of situation um, in the Dable offense if, if Saquon were to go down. We've seen that, you know, these kind of that Dable is able to move the ball, be efficient, uh turn Danny Dimes into their franchise cornerstone piece. So I like Eric Gray a lot. I thought I think that's a good pick for sure. And yeah, as, as a Saquon owner, I went into uh, my rookie draft thinking like, you know, I need to get Eric Gray here at the end of the third, because like Josh was saying with the franchise tag issue um, and, you know, Barkley having the knee injury issues and also just like, it's seeming like a pretty wide open path for Gray to become that backup. Uh, I, I figured I had to get him. And, and as Josh was saying with like a player like Wayne Gallman, I view Eric Gray as a guy who's not like elite at anything, but he can do it all. You know, he can pass catch. He can run between the tackles. He can block a bit. So I think that if Barkley were to go down, Gray would have a strong chance of getting a, the bulk of the touches. And it's not like, you know, we're not asking him to put up as many points as Saquon is, but he could probably be a flex week in, week out if Saquon were out. Um, and like we've touched on the Brian Dable offense, like, I mean, you, you, the, the offense just is really good considering the talent they have. And it sets up the running backs to succeed, and the offense goes through the running game. So, uh, also with Daniel Jones being a mobile quarterback, too, it opens up the running backs a bit more as well. It gives them a bit easier looks, they have to respect their running game. So, yeah, um, I'm an Eric Gray guy for sure. And yeah, the value is great right now, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you touched on a really good point right there, too, because um, Brian Dabble really knows how to use the best of every single player's potential in his offense. 
Um, like he turned Daniel Jones into a solid NFL quarterback, which is not an easy task. Um, and he maximized Saquon Barkley. He, max- he, he maximized his offense despite having zero wide receivers. They had Isaiah Hodgins, who is a day three player who looked good last year, but he's definitely not an elite NFL talent. Um, so whoever is in this dabble system is going to succeed because dabble puts him in the position, sets him up for success. So I, I, I like all of the different pieces. Whoever gets playing time on the giants is going to have some sort of fantasy production. Yeah. So speaking of, uh, you know, my, my, one of my, my first sleeper, you know, in that giants offense, that Dable offense, uh, was actually Darius Slayton, a guy who, you know, you mentioned below someone like Isaiah Hodgins. I know we're fans of Hodgins on this podcast, but Slayton has kind of been an afterthought in most people's mind after, you know, four years of fairly lackluster play. But this past year, uh, he quietly kind of had the best year of his career, averaging 15.7 yards per catch, uh, only had 46 catches, but uh, 724 yards. If he would have matched his rookie year touchdown percent, I mean, uh, touchdown number, his, he would probably be valued a lot higher. He only had two touchdowns this year. He, he had eight that first year, which, you know, maybe isn't attainable, but they, they didn't score too much through the air um, in uh, in New York. Maybe a lot of that still goes to Waller, but Waller may open up that offense a bit more for someone like Slayton, who there is really the only guy they've trusted to run deep routes in the past couple of years. Uh, guys like Wandale Robinson uh, and Isaiah Hodgins are, are underneath guys and and Richie James, et cetera. They really don't run those deep routes. Those kind of all have been funneled to Darius Slayton. He had the most receiving yards on the team last year. And with the addition of Hyatt and Paris Campbell, I'm not sure that changes. Um, obviously, you'd expect Hyatt to get some of those deep looks as well. Uh, was really a deep ball specialist at Tennessee. Looked fantastic at that kind of flanker and deep ball role. But, uh, you know, Darius Slayton is going to be on the field probably much more often than a guy like Jalen Hyatt, especially early. I expect, it, I expect Hyatt, Hyatt to take some time to acclimate into the, the offense. Uh, you know, Dave Bull runs a, a, a you know complicated system. I, I think it'll take a bit for him to get there. And so Darius Slayton should still, I think, remain the starting or the number one wide receiver in terms of yardage on this team. Uh, he's not, you know, a PPR monster. He, you know, his highest amount of catches per, uh, in a season was only 50, but he still turned that into, again, 750 yards in three separate years. So um, I like Darius Slayton because really people are completely kind of shutting this Giants offense, uh, the wide receivers, like out of the fantasy drafts. Daniel Jones is getting drafted around guys like Kirk Cousins and Geno Smith. Obviously, he has that rushing upside that those guys don't have, but someone on his team besides Saquon Barkley is going to get the ball. Obviously, I think Darren Waller will be a, a big focal point of that offense, but none of the receivers are really getting talked about at all. And a guy who was their lead last year, who they re-signed, uh, gave decent money to, I think Darius Slayton, uh, is going to be that guy once again to lead the Giants in receiving uh, from the wide receiver core standpoint, at least. Yeah, Darius Slayton's a guy that just always feels inevitable. Like, it's, 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 he always produces. And I think just, you know, he has some comical drops every now and then uh, that just make him look really bad and really silly. And I think that ultimately kind of leads to this, like, like seesaw like career that he's had. Cause he, every time he gets on the field, you're like, oh, wow, this guy's good. He makes highlight plays, you know. He gets open, he's quick, he's electric, and then he does something just boneheaded, which I think knocks him back a bit. But we don't really care about that from a fantasy perspective. When he's in like that like 
five, six, seven uh, week stretch where he's playing all the Giants injury uh, in wide receivers get injured and Slayton's in there, you know, like he, he always balls. And, and, you know, I think again, what Dabble showed us is that he, he's putting guys in places to succeed, you know, Isaiah Hodgins from nobody to solid fantasy contributor. And I think Slayton is a, a talented player, kind of just an enigma in some ways, but um, I remember last year he wasn't he like on the practice squad for like the majority of the year. And then like all the wide receivers got hurt, and then they had to start like him and Hodgins, and they both balled, and it like opened up the offense. And then he got a new contract out of it. Yeah, um, they didn't want to play him like at all last year. He still ended up with seven hundred and twenty yards. And yeah, 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 yeah it's crazy he's a dog. Like in oh, he's seven hundred twenty yards. That's a lot. Damn, yeah, I that, know that's solid numbers. Okay, you guys, you, uh, Perlman, you're uh, you're making me get back on the uh, Darius Slayton train. I was, uh, I was kind of derailing it because I wanted, I wanted Jalen Hyatt to succeed because uh, Jalen Hyatt's a dog for putting up 200 yards and five touchdowns on Bama's head. Um, but Hey, dog. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you're convincing me back, uh, to come back around on the Darius Slayton train. I, I just looked up his contract. He got two years, $12 million, 5 million guaranteed. That's, that's pretty He's solid on the team. He's on the team. That's pretty solid. He's only 26 still too. Solid. Damn. Yeah, 26 going into his fifth year, the highest paid receiver on the team. I think they gave Waller more money than that. But, like, I, I think so many receivers. <laughs> yeah, they do have a lot of receivers, but nobody who's a household name, nobody who's even close to that, nobody who's probably even produced 700 yards in a season. I don't believe, uh, I don't believe Paris Campbell's done that. So, uh, it really, Slayton is the only guy there that's had a season of, of that, you know, amount. And he's done it three, three out of his four seasons. He's had over 700 yards. So, uh, I think there's a real chance he does that again, or maybe even better if he has. And again, he's only had a couple touchdowns the last few years, but if he was anywhere close to that rookie number of eight, you're looking at a much better fantasy season than, than people are going to be expecting. Yeah. Maybe I, mean, I, I, I like this. Yeah. I like this. It's a, I mean, if there's ever such a thing as an ambiguous receiver room too, it's the giants. I mean, they got like 30 of them and none of them are that like, they don't really stand out that much. So yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone here is claiming that Darius Slayton is going to be like this, like, we're like rising up the ranks kind of guy. But when he's in that run, you can start him for sure. I mean, he's putting up solid numbers. All right, any more on Slayton? Let's move on to my first guy. Who am I going to pick first? I think who I'm going to pick first is a guy that I've mentioned on the show a handful of times. Definitely the deepest of the sleepers that I've gone for today. And that's going to be Amari DiMercato. I've talked about him a couple times. Uh, we know who the boy is. This is deep. This is like he is free. You have to, oh, yeah. they, this they is have to buy. Very deep. What is, what's his they, ownership? Uh, it's probably like 2%. I love it. I love it. But this is just super deep. For anyone that's in a really deep, like super big roster kind of league, Big taxi squad. This is the type of player that's for you. Uh, Amari DiMercato, uh, running back from TCU, because I have to explain that because nobody knows who he is, who went undrafted to the Cardinals. Uh, that Cardinals running back depth chart is pretty empty. I mean, it's James Conner, and we know he has an injury history. It's Keontae Ingram, who wasn't that good last year. Uh, it's Amari DiMercato and Corey Clement. I mean, it's not a good running back depth chart. So, you know, if he just shows up a bit, you know, does well, he's got a good chance of making the team. And then with the injury history to Connor, the lacklusterness of Keontae Ingram, you know, 
there's always a chance that he just kind of barges his way on. Oh, I also forgot Tyson Williams, but I'm not really including him. Um, but I, I think there's a good chance going into training camp that he could be close to, or a, a past Corey Clement and past Tyson Williams. Uh, and his career at TCU was an interesting one. He um, was basically a backup his entire career. Back up to Zach Evans, then back up to Kendry Miller. Uh, he got some experience as a kick returner. Um, and he, his main uh, breakout, really, came at the very end of his college career. His older prospect, he's 24. At the very end, when he had when Kendry got hurt, with the injury he's still dealing with, and he became the starter for the college football playoff games. He went for he had 17 carries for 150 and a touchdown versus, versus Michigan and 14 carries for 59 yards against Georgia. Now, I know that that last stat line doesn't sound that exciting, but TCU was completely outmatched, blown out of the water. That Georgia D-line is like all NFL players, and he put up like a respectable stat line. Not amazing, but respectable. Um, he's 5'9", 215. He's got a 32 almost BMI. He is known as someone who can catch as well. He's primarily used in receiving situations relatively to his overall usage. He can pass block as well. He's a willing pass blocker, so he can do those three elements of the game. He has a limited special teams experience. He had a handful of kickoff returns. Uh, and the rumor has it, there's not really any good source in this anyway, but he ran a 4-4-4 Pro Day 40. That's what I was able to find. So you got this guy who doesn't have many knocks on him, great BMI, well-rounded skill set, uh, who ran a decent 40 times. He's got that some athleticism with him. And when you watch him play, he kind of seems a, a like kind of like a plotter plus, like, like some guy that just runs straight forward battering ram, but also has some quickness to his game is not just entirely one dimensional. All that said, I don't think Amari Di Mercado is going to be anything amazing. Probably won't. It's not even a guarantee he makes the team, but for those deep roster leagues where you're looking for a running back that could get some meaningful snaps this year, and you're looking at just a wide open depth chart behind James Conner there in Arizona, you think that Amari DiMercato could be a solid bet and worth just a free flyer if you got like a 10-man taxi squad or if you got uh, a passing curiosity and obsession for unheard of rookies. Anything that falls under those, you got a good guy here in DiMercato. I'm, I'm on. I'm on the train. Uh, just looked into DiMercato a little bit more. If he makes yeah, the roster, you, uh, it's a win. It's a win. Yeah, if he, if he makes the roster, we're we're, we're stamping him in uh, because this, like like you said, this Cardinals backfield is empty behind James Conner. I know there's Keontae Ingram, Tyson Williams, but yeah, like you said, they don't inspire any confidence. Demarcado, this this kid looks pretty good. What was the stat line you said against Michigan? You said 17 for 150 and one. Uh, it was exactly that. Yeah. Jesus Christ. In the college football play against Michigan, it's just a Big Ten defense that is typically yeah, built to stop the run game. Yeah, he beat them. And he beat them. He yeah. beat them bad. And like the highlights that I'm watching right now, th this kid is this kid is nice. Yeah. It's it how really do you go on I that was really because he never played. He like never played. Kind of imagine like a Damian Pierce like extreme when Damian Pierce last year or never really played that much at Florida. This guy played even less. No, uh, I'm on this right now too. Like, there's it's really no one else there. there in 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 Arizona. I like it. Like James Conner, injury history. I'm all in really on James Conner. I like him a lot this year. But so do I. If he goes down, I mean, 
who else is there? Keontae Ingram was bad last year, objectively. He only had 27 carries as a like as a, a guy coming in with only 27 carries the whole year. You'd think he could average something. He'd be fresh every time he came in. Average 2.2 yards a carry. Uh, like oh, you got to you got to do a little something with your opportunity. It's not like he really has draft capital. He was drafted in the sixth round. You know those guys get cut all the time. Uh, he's the same weight, but like four inches taller. So a much less BMI, uh, than D Mercado. So I, I like the bet. Uh, he's a guy that came in and filled in well for Kendra, uh, like you said, against Michigan and like that shows, yeah, big time play ability against a really good team. And the Cardinals are trying their best to build something. Uh, they got a, a lineman in the draft. So maybe they have a better run game than they had last year. And, and they weren't too bad last year. James Conner was able to put up uh, obviously great fantasy numbers in a pretty respectable season on the ground and through the air as well. So uh, I actually, you know, may stop taking Keontae Ingram every like, you know, 20 drafts in best ball and, and start taking maybe one uh, Demarcado. As a, yeah, I think I'm going to Demarcado team too. <laughs> I have to share. I have and, to get a share. Uh, and yeah, I mean, and this guy is, literally free like i like what, what was it the ownership on sleeper did you ever say what it was like two percent or something zero percent zero percent we're part of that zero though baby let's go um, uh, no it's three percent zero percent starting zero percent starting three percent ownership okay. um, oh it's a, really on, on mine it says zero percent ownership okay. oh i don't know somewhere in there it's within the margin of error but and what, one more one more thing that I wanted to add as well is with the new offensive coordinator in Arizona, uh, Drew Petzing, he comes from Kevin Stefanski's uh, coaching tree. So talk about a guy that knows how to run the ball. I mean, of course, he's got one of the best running backs in the NFL, coupled with a good uh, offensive line. But we know where that bread and butter that uh, from Stefanski lies, and that's in the running game. So, you know, if – if the opportunity comes around, I mean, again, this is an undrafted guy who barely played in college, but just an interesting profile that I wanted to share because no one talks about him. Deep, deep, deep. Yeah. Great find, but, guys. All right. Thank I'm you. Going. All right. Josh, go it. ahead with your uh, next guy. I'm going to go with another undrafted guy. Uh, and you, you touched on the lack of playing time in college or misusage of this type of player in college. I'm talking about Malik Davis. Um, he was another product of just the Dan Mullen disaster project down in Florida. Um, like Dan Mullen made Damian Pierce look bad. Uh, Damian Pierce only he only had the ball uh, 100. He only had 100 rushes for 574 yards. He did put up 13 rushing touchdowns, which is insane um, on only 100 touches. Like that's crazy. Uh, 19 receptions, 216 yards, and three touchdowns in his senior year. Uh, Malik Davis in that same offense basically split the the workload pretty evenly with Damian Pierce. Uh, 92 rushes, 487 rushing yards, five rushing touchdowns, put up 23 receptions for 217 receiving yards and two touchdowns in his senior year. Um, so it was solid. That's pretty solid if you compare that to Damian Pierce. Obviously, Damian Pierce was the goal line back, so he got um, a lot more touchdowns. But in terms of the profile and the actual production, pretty decent. I know Damian Pierce is about 20 pounds heavier or maybe 15, but uh, Malik Davis does have – requisite size to uh, carry the load in the NFL. Um, and he looked solid last year in limited opportunities as an undrafted free agent. He had uh, 38 rushing attempts for 161 rush yards. That's uh, 4.2 yards per carry. And he had six receptions for 63 yards and a touchdown. Um, on top of that, Ezekiel Elliott, he's gone. Ezekiel Elliott had uh, 231 rush attempts and 23 targets last year. 
someone's going to fill that void. Um, I assume a piece of that is going to go to Tony Pollard, but Tony Pollard doesn't necessarily have that true bell cow workhorse size. So I expect a decent amount of that uh, split to go Malik Davis's way as well. Um, and I see Malik Davis getting a minimum 100 carries, maybe even like 150 carries for Malik Davis. Um, and the icing on the cake for all of this is two, week, two weeks ago, I was down in Dallas, uh, in Frisco actually, at the Dallas practice facility. Uh, $1.5 billion facility. Absolutely beautiful, beautiful building. Um, and on the wall, I noticed the TV playing a highlight video. They're playing a highlight reel of Malik Davis, just on repeat. I stood in front of him just to make sure that I wasn't my I, my eyes were not seeing me. <laughs> it's so random. <laughs> there was a TV in the Cowboys the practice facility dedicated to playing a highlight reel of Malik Davis. It's Malik Davis season. I mean, look, that's insider information. You're not just going to get anywhere else. We saw it on I'm the big sold. screen. Josh saw it on the big screen. So, I mean, Malik Davis, I, you got to be sold. I personally am am definitely excited for Malik Davis uh, from a fantasy perspective. Usually, as a Cowboys fan, I have been all out on the Cowboys, but this guy's completely forgotten about. He was an undrafted player, but uh, I think there's just such a big opportunity behind Tony Pollard. We have obviously seen the Cowboys use multiple running backs for years now since Pollard's been there. Obviously, you know, he was a great running back, a great compliment to Zeke, and Zeke was playing very well for many years uh, before really this past year. But Zeke carried the ball 231 times. Like Josh said, he had 23 targets, not the most, but there's so many carries and things to go around that I I think Malik Davis has to get at least 100, 150 seems much more reasonable and possibly even more. Pollard's not the biggest back. He does have size too, but I don't think that the Cowboys are just going to sit there and run Pollard 30 times a game. I, I don't see it happening. They, they didn't even really do that to Zeke last year. And so I, I think Malik Davis just has such a big opportunity. The Cowboys are going to emphasize the run even more than last year. Um, and so I, I, I've been taking Malik Davis in a lot. I, I've, I liked uh, some of the trades I've seen from Malik Davis. I think people are getting steals even for third rounders, trading third rounders to get Malik Davis. His production is going to be much better than people expect. He might be not, not be a long-term solution, but it does seem like the Cowboys – uh, really aren't interested in bringing in another back right now. They haven't been in rumors uh, for Dalvin Cook for bringing back Zeke. They said they've been fine. They haven't been in rumors really for Fournette. Uh, so I think Malik Davis seems to be the two going into the season. And I, you know, I just said Keontae Ingram only had you know like 2.2 yards per carry. At least uh, Malik Davis, you know, he was respectable in his like four. What'd you say, like 4.7 yards a carry, 4.3 yards a carry. Point um, two. 4.2 yards to carry. I mean, a- absolutely respectable um, for, you know, an undrafted guy coming in there in his first year. And, and sure. yeah, there are just so much opportunity. I, I like Malik Davis to be a great sleeper this year. Uh, yeah, another thing I'll add is, uh, let me add some real quick, guys. Um, Go ahead. They were all of the staff at the Cowboys facility. They, had, they were all talking like there's no way Zeke comes back. Like they were like, we appreciate everything that, that Ezekiel Elliott did. But like his locker's gone, like everything's gone. Um, it's it's the Tony Pollard Malik Davis show down there in Dallas. Yeah, I I remember before the, uh, like our rookie draft, maybe back in May or April or so. I made a trade where I traded away Malik Davis for like three eleven or something like that, and I was like, damn, that's a good trade. You know, it's good process. You know, he picked up a guy for free, gets a little buzz. Surely they draft a guy. <laughs> 
They only dropped a Deuce Vaughn, who I'm not really thinking is a big threat. And it's annoying me. It's a little needle on my side. Uh, because, you know, it was a good process, you know, undrafted guy, you know, tripping for a third a couple months after getting him, like, easy, easy. Uh, now I'm having a little bit of regret over that, you know, especially as I thought I did really well at that trade. Um, I mean, I don't know a hell of a lot about Malik Davis as a football player, but just given the pure opportunity that is in front of him, I mean, <laughs> he's, I mean, it would be difficult to be less efficient than Ezekiel Elliott was last year. And the Cowboys are not going to give Tony Pollard a bell cow role. I mean, that's not something that Pollard is able to handle. The Cowboys in the past have well documented that Pollard is his most efficient when he doesn't get a workload, like a, a heavy workload, a bell cow type workload. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Malik Davis could very well be penciled in that. I mean, I'm a, I, mean, I still have concerns that they'd sign somebody. I have concerns that they would perhaps incorporate some like Ronald Jones in there. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a really good bet to make just because like if you got them for free, you got a chance that you could even take on some of the Ezekiel Elliott role, which is which is great. So yeah, Luke Davis, hell yeah. Yeah, so it looks like uh, we're moving on, but I, I ended up, once again, Josh, we're on the same team for our sleepers. Um, again, I don't Go usually like I don't usually Go. like the Cowboys, but... It's Ronald Jones, isn't it? <laughs> it's Ronald, no, it's Jake Ferguson. Uh, I think I've talked Let's about him a few times. Uh, I think I've talked about him a few times already, and yes, the Cowboys did draft a tight end in the second round, Luke Schoonmaker from Michigan. Um, but... I think if you go back and look at their college stats, uh, Luke Schoonmaker had one year of 400 yards as a senior. His fourth year, uh, he had 35 catches for 418 yards. Jake Ferguson, as a freshman, had 36 catches for 465 yards, then 33 catches for 405 yards, 30 catches for 300 yards, and 46 for 450 yards. That's four straight years, uh, or I guess – three years with a little bit of a break, only a hundred yards less of equal production to Shoemaker's best year in college. Ferguson was also the sixth most targeted Dallas Cowboy last year. And that includes like both the running backs. He was out, out targeted by Pollard, but he out targeted Ezekiel Elliott as the number two tight end last year. Jake Ferguson also had an 87% catch rate. He was targeted 23 times uh, and had 20 catches. 87% catch rate, very efficient. Dalton Schultz only had a 64% catch rate. The next best was CeeDee Lamb with 69% catch rate. Dalton Schultz also leaves a gap of 107 targets last year. The security blanket that uh, that was Dak's favorite target underneath is now gone, gone to Houston. And I believe that Jake Ferguson will be the guy to fill that role. They do have Peyton Hendershot, and obviously, like I said, they draft the Shoemaker, but tight ends take a while to come on anyway, and Ferguson had a, a better passing or receiving profile in college anyway uh, than Shoemaker. I, I'm not a, very happy with that draft pick. Hopefully, he's the blocking tight end everybody says that he is, but I think when Dak's going to need that check down, it might end up being Shoemaker, or it might end up being Jake Ferguson, and there's just so much opportunity. Dak has had Dak has proven time and time again that he looks for that big target underneath. Dalton Schultz was not a master of getting open. We say targets are earned, but the Cowboys offense makes me rethink that because I don't think Dalton Schultz earned 107 targets. I think Dak Prescott liked to force it to him. 
And I could see the same thing happening with Jake Ferguson. And right now he feels like basically a free player as well. He's like 200 plus and keep trade cut uh, going close to undrafted or like the 18th round in many redraft leagues. So I'm, I'm kind of all in on Jake Ferguson. I'm expecting the Cowboys tight ends to have a big role in this offense as they have every year with Dak Prescott. And this year, I think Jake Ferguson is the guy that steps up and proves he's the number one receiving threat out of the tight end position in Dallas. So what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I've been on with Ferguson because, you know, rookies tight ends usually don't do much. Um, and when Ferguson did play last year, uh, he commanded a, tar- a good target share like we talked about. Uh, but also just on top of that, I mean, Schoenmaker is a rookie, you know? I mean, Ferguson's got that whole year of experience with massive tight ends. Also, one thing that I don't think you mentioned was that Schoenmaker also has been dealing with plantar fasciitis too. Uh, so that's going to set him back massively. I mean, that's and plantar fasciitis is not something that goes away easily. It's, I mean, it's just uh, just a horrible thing to deal with, and it's painful. And these tight ends need all the reps they can get. So I'm leaning toward Ferguson being uh, the starter there for sure. I don't know why people haven't really come around to that yet. Uh, and the Cal and the Prescott's tight end has always been, um, always been uh, heavily targeted, even when they're not so good. Like, a, like I mean, not to say Dalton Schultz is bad, but he's not exactly an electric athlete or anything like that. So it's not even really a requirement. And you know, I've been trying to get some Ferguson where I can best ball drafts. You know, like second to last round, something like that. And, you know, I think it's just kind of like a free bet on, on likely Cowboys starting tight end. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Jake Ferguson. Um, I am fully on board with the idea that he is going to be the starter there. And as we know, the Cowboys starting tight end position is very valuable for fantasy. Um, it's, I mean, I, I don't really have any stats or anything to back it up. It's mostly just like, it's just like vibes and a feeling. Uh, kind of the same way back in, I think it was three years ago now, um, in our Dynasty D-Gen startup, uh, there was all that like big sort of discussion between, oh, is Blake Jarwin going to be the starter or is Dalton Schultz going to be the starter? Um, everyone just seemed to get kind of like think that Blake Jarwin was going to be the starter, but I was fully on the Dalton Schultz train and I drafted Dalton Schultz like the 24th round. He was, he, uh, in that year, he put up like 20, tight end three numbers, so he ended up being a very usable fantasy pick. Um, I think kind of that similar thing is happening here with Jake Ferguson and people are just going to continue to make the same mistake. Um, it's just patterns. And um, I think that Ferguson is going to uh, be a household name after this year, after the season. Awesome. Thank you, Jared. And my next guy is going to be someone you've probably heard of. So plot twist. Uh, and I'm going to go with, Someone that I've enjoyed watching and have seen a lot of as he went to UVA, uh, I'm going to go with Dontavian Wicks. Uh, I think a narrative is there for Dontavian Wicks to be a solid NFL player. Uh, and his, co- his college career was just quite topsy-turvy. He didn't really play much as a – I mean, first and foremost, I want to say that UVA football has been topsy-turvy. There has been the coaching change. There has been different quarterbacks. There have been quarterback injuries. Uh, and the coaching change, especially, is something that really tells Dontavian Wick's story at UVA. I feel like I'm building these narratives about these players. Um, but just a bit of detail about Dontavian Wicks. Came into UVA as a freshman, 2019, barely played. I don't really know why. Um, got a foot injury in 2022, missed the whole season, whole thing. 
And then in 2021, he just goes off. He gets like 20 uh, – I got to pull up the stats. He gets like 20 yards per catch. Brandon Armstrong was just whipping it to him. Robert and I had that offense clicking. And, I mean, Don Tavian Wicks just made some nutty catches. I mean, go to YouTube and search Don Tavian Wicks catch. And there's like five or six of them that, like, you you have to watch the replay to understand how uh, how he caught it. I mean, it was just like really good ball skills, fascinating ball skills. Uh, that year he had 57 catches for 1,200 yards and nine touchdowns. I mean, he was just feasting. And it wasn't just like the short dump up down games, too. I remember all the time he would just feast, like, in the intermediate range where like wide receivers uh, need to excel at to excel in the NFL. Uh, physically, you might look at his, uh, you might look at his 40 time, not the best. It was like a four or five, seven, not great, but he's like six, one, uh, almost six, two, 205 pounds, which is decent size. But then you look at some of his other metrics, he had a 39 inch vertical, a 10 foot, 10 inch broad jump. He ended up having a 9.49 uh, RAS score. And we know that the Packers really like to get athletic players. That's how that's kind of been their um, their um, whatever the word is their strategy over the course of the last handful of drafts, getting a lot of athletic players. And Wicks fits that profile. I think he also offers uh, something a bit different from the other uh, Packers wide receivers. You got like Christian Watson, who you know is known for not having the best uh, ball skills, uh, needs a bit more refinement. Uh, but is really athletic, really fast, great after the catch, all of those things. I think Wicks is going to be a really good, could be a really good uh, like possession type receiver for them. Not like a slot guy like Jaden Reed could be, but I think like a guy who could beat out Romeo Dubs to be the jump ball guy, to be the guy that gets some of those contested catches in tight spaces because he's not going to wow you with any route running, but he just makes some great catches. Uh, and that said, while he makes some fantastic catches, he did have some drop issues in college. Um, he had like 14 in two years, which isn't great. But like I said, I mean, the UVA, UVA offense really took a hit from his junior year into his senior year because his stats also just took with a nosedive. But I watched almost every UVA game in 2022, and that offense did not know it's left from its right. The uh, Brennan Armstrong went from like Heisman hopeful to like n- not even on any radars, and it it just went all downhill with that coaching change. Uh, so I think Dontavian Wicks has that skill set and has also some uh, yak ability too. I mean, for a big dude, he's pretty quick and shifty, although he doesn't have that elite um, like end to end speed. But yeah, Dontavian Wicks, I think with his ball skills, can be a solid NFL contributor. And with his yak ability can be a bit more than that in a kind of wide open depth chart that is the Packers team. I don't really think outside of Watson, anyone's really that big of a concern for his touches, except maybe Dubs. Him and Reed are very different. Um, but yeah, John Damian Wicks, sleeper number two. I definitely think it's hard to judge someone off of a UVA production. For sure. For sure. Uh, the UVA, he overcame a lot. <laughs> exactly. It's 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 hard to put up numbers in the UVA offense and to see his sort of red shirt sophomore year, junior year, uh put up fifty seven catches for twelve hundred yards, uh twenty one point one yard per yards per catch. Very, very impressive. Uh and the team obviously had no idea what they were doing this year. Um, that said, I'm definitely a bit worried because you are we are working with the first time starter in love and he's coming in with another rookie and two guys who have a year under their belt and maybe didn't perform the best. Uh, but I just think 
I would expect Jaden Reed drafted early in the second round to be that guy who takes over the number two spot. And yes, they do have different molds. And maybe when they run that three wide receiver set, if Dontavian can take over that that number two spot on the outside from dubs, they can put Reed on the inside and he can run those routes. Um, I just, I saw a lot of trust last year in the Packers organization with dubs and he didn't really live up to that, but he may continue to have that trust of the organization. I don't know. Uh, Dontavian's going to have to prove himself. And obviously, you know, that's what the sleepers all have to do is prove themselves. Um, but when you're already working with a guy like Jordan Love, who's an unknown, it gets a bit hard, but I do think there's a chance because he, he is a big body. He has good ball skills and, and nobody else. Well, I do think Reed has really good ball skills, but nobody that they've, they already have has the ball skills that he does. Uh, so he could stand out in camp if, if, you know, he's given that opportunity. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to add to is uh, one thing I wanted to add about Wicks is uh, I lost my train of thought. Josh, go ahead. <laughs> um I actually really like that you brought up Dante Avian Wicks um, because to be honest, to be completely honest, like I have kind of forgotten about him a little bit. Um, and very forgettable he, senior year. He, he had been building some hype going into his junior season. Um, his uh, receiving yards per team pass attempt were pretty closely in line with a lot of the uh, other great wide receivers in this class uh, in his junior season. And then his senior season, he kind of tumbled into relevancy. Um but Dontavian Wicks is is someone that I think is one of those great deep ball specialists. I know the Packers have Christian Watson to use uh, as that deep ball specialist. Um, but both Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks played uh, at least four years in college. Jaden Reed played five. But in both their junior, junior years, uh, Dontavian Wicks had 2.17 y- uh, yards per team pass attempt. Jaden Reed only had 1.67. But then in their senior years, Dontavian Wicks took a pretty steep regression, uh, went down to 1.26 yards per team pass attempt, whereas Jaden Reed bumped up to 2.56 yards per team pass attempt. Um, and I think that's kind of t- telling of like kind of the story which we're seeing here, where uh, a lot of hype is building around Jaden Reed. Uh, Jaden Reed should be uh, a starting receiver in this Packers offense, but kind of behind them, like like you said, wide open with receiving room. Um, I know the actual Packers organization is uh, they seem to like Romeo dubs kind of a lot. Um, and he always seems to overperform Training camp. God, he's a training camp hype beast. Um, so maybe that happens again. And uh, the Romeo dubs uh, hype train leaves the station again, this off season. Um, but it's definitely open. It's definitely open because uh, during the season, we never know what's going to happen. We know this, uh, this, these Packers receivers tend to get hurt. Uh, both Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs miss time in the rookie season, and when that happens, Dontavian Wicks, I think he's going to be ready. He's got that. He's got that UVA uh, pedigree, so I'm, I'm excited for him. Excited to see what he can do. Yeah, yeah. And one thing I wanted to add about Wicks too, which was actually what I was going to say after Jared spoke, was you know typically I don't really like picking wide receivers as deep sleepers um, because. Uh, it's just so unlikely that it's it hard to predict when a late round receiver shows out. But I, I just think I saw something in the ball skills from Wicks. And it's not like I say it's about every UVA guy or whatever, but I watched enough of him playing to, to realize that there was something there that was a bit beyond like, you know, he's not just like a shifty guy who can like, you know, that's just small and quick or someone like that. Like Alameda Zacchaeus was at UVA, but he he's like, he demonstrates some elite traits, in my opinion, to catch 
to make like acrobatic catches. Um, and I think it's just something worth betting on. And again, free, you know, he makes a couple good catches in training camp. Awesome. Sell them, you know, whatever that is. But again, free is free. So we like that. Uh, Josh, go ahead to the next guy. Okay. Uh, my last guy, this was that hybrid uh, running back wide receiver that I'd mentioned. Um, that's Cordero Patterson. I think Cordero Patterson is getting slept on a little bit because um, of the Bijan Robinson hype. Uh, basically everyone is pumping Bijan Robinson shares to the absolute moon right now. Um, and I think rightfully so Bijan Robinson's an absolute stud, but Cordero Patterson has been a very, very solid NFL player for, um, the majority of his career ever since, uh, Bill Belichick found out that, uh, you have to use Cordero Patterson as a running back and not as a receiver. Um, he's put together very solid, uh, career years over the past few years. Um, and I remember most notably two years ago, um, put up 153 rush attempts, 618 yards, 4.0 yards per carry, added 52 receptions, 548 receiving yards, and 11 touchdowns. Put up 14.7 fantasy points per game, number 16 overall at the running back position. And then in 2022, last year, uh, dealt with some injuries, but still had 144 rush, uh, rush attempts, 695 rush yards, good for 4.8 yards per carry, phenomenal. Added 21 receptions, 122, 122 receiving yards, and eight touchdowns. Cordero Patterson is just a very large human being. It's like 6'2", 225. Um, he's built, and the Falcons, Arthur Smith, is going to find some way to get Cordero Patterson the ball. Um, I think Arthur Smith, uh, he's had him for the last two years, and he's kind of used him in sort of that gadget role. And I expect Cordero Patterson to maintain that gadget role, and B. John Robinson is just going to be just the bell cow running back. Um, because how do you defend an offense that rolls out Desmond Ritter at quarterback, Drake London, and um, Matt Collins out wide, Kyle Pitts at tight end? What, do you, what if you throw like Cordero Patterson in the slot or like as a wing back? Have Bijan Robinson in the backfield? Maybe put Tyler Algier at fullback? What do you do as a defense then? <laughs> You're going against the number one rushing uh, offensive line in the NFL. How do you defend against that when your, your defense is built – to defend against these offenses that love to throw the ball just 30 yards down the field. Cause that's how like the entire NFL has shifted towards is like, let's go and just air the shit out of the ball. Let's, let's get all these amazing quarterbacks and just throw the ball down, down the field. And Arthur Smith's like, hold up. You guys are all adjusting your defenses to try to defend that. I'm just going to put my biggest players out there and just run the ball down your throats. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen with the Falcons this year. And I'm excited for them, excited for all the Falcons players. I agree with your outlook on the Falcons and how they're just going to like run the hell out of the ball and they have the personnel to do it. I, I think I'm going to push back a bit though with Cordero Patterson's involvement. I, I don't really, I, I see it as a, a tough to predict situation where Cordero Patterson becomes like a startable fantasy asset. And I mean, predict because like, you know, in lineup leagues, you gotta, you gotta know when that output is coming. I like in Cordero and best ball, like sure. I'm more down with that. I, I think, where I see a scenario where Cordero is predictably involved is with the Bijan Robinson injury. And then he and Algier split the backfield and Patterson gets the receiving work, which I think is definitely could be an outcome. I didn't, you know, I just think that if he is used in that gadget role, 
you know, I, I don't love that. And I think that, you know, maybe one game, you know, the gadget looks looking good, you know, it maybe gets like, you know, four catches, whatever yards, a couple touchdowns, something like that. Uh, but I did, but then in the next game, he's going to be barren. Um, I, I, and then on top of that, with his age, um, you know, it, it's not really, you're not really getting much upside there where that, you know, let's say that like he has something to build on for the next year. That's not really going to exist. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm a bit hesitant to say that, that, that maybe I'm willing to think that I'm wrong, but just not really huge on Cordero this year for that reason. Um, but yeah, Jared, love to hear what you say. Yeah, I just hope this isn't true for all of my other Falcons shares. Uh, I don't want Cordero to be great, but you know what? He's a touchdown scoring machine. Like Josh said, the last two years, he scored 11 touchdowns. Two I was years surprised ago at that. And, and eight this year. Um, he, this man finds the end zone and can put up, especially obviously in best ball formats, can put up big numbers uh, any week. And if Bijan does go down, he's going to be involved. Obviously, Algier is going to be somebody that people rush to and someone that's already drafted. But Cordero is completely thought, like, you know, unthought, not thought about, uh, forgotten about. And so I think, you know, he could be a great stash because it is such a prolific rushing offense. He's such a big body and he is great at finding the end zone. He's been fantastic in open space the last few years um, that all that returning uh, ability has paid off in the backfield and in open space. And he's found the end zone. I, I think he doesn't have a great outlook with Bijan in there. I don't see how he earns a too large of a target share while healthy. I, Cause I do think Algier will spell Bijan, but Cordero is going to see the field sometimes and he is good at scoring touchdowns. So I hope he stops that so that Drake London, Kyle Pitts and Bichon score all the touchdowns, but he's, he's a fantastic handcuff hundred percent. He's completely free. Nobody really cares about him at all. I think even the owner who's had, you know, two great years of Cordero Patterson would probably be looking to, you know, flip him for basically anything because he is 32, but he has no, no tread on his tires. He's, had basically like 400 carries over the course of, of his entire career. So we really have no idea how long someone like that, I feel like could last, but no one's going to expect him to last really more than the more than last year. No one's expecting him to do anything this year. So he is really completely free uh, and a great handcuff. I just hope that doesn't have to happen because I want all the other guys to ball. Yeah. And I think I just want to quickly add that I was a, probably a bit too negative in that, you know, I still think that with this Falcons running game and how this offense is set up, that any running back is worth rostering that's on your dynasty team that's on the roster for the Falcons and Cordero's like, you know, like a, a lock to make it, you know. So, yeah, you should definitely be on your roster because you never know. You never know what how the situation unfolds. And if he does get a significant portion of the work, those are going to be very valuable touches. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys said. I mean, my kind of the uh, the crux of the argument of Cordero Patterson is essentially just any offensive, uh, any running back on the Falcons offense um, if they sign someone. Um, but yeah, I mean, Cordero Patterson is a touching, touchdown scoring machine. You could probably get him for a fourth because um, I don't imagine that the actual Cordero owner um, really values him that highly, uh, especially with Bijan over there now. Um, but he's going to score points. Um, I think even if Bijan doesn't get hurt, uh, like you guys said, probably better in a basketball format because you won't, those touchdowns are going to be unpredictable, but I still expect him to score like five to six touchdowns this year. So I'm excited for him. Cool. Jared, you're up. 
All right, so you guys went through all your undrafted players. Now it's my turn. A guy that we've talked about quite a lot on this podcast, so probably not going to be too big of a surprise. Uh, Sean Tucker for an un- another undrafted player, like I said, uh, and was picked up by the Tampa the Bay Buccaneers. He's on the hype train, finally. We got him. I'm on the hype train because there's no train. I'm the sole member. Maybe you guys are like in the, the now. in the back. <laughs> yeah, I'm the conductor now. You guys hopped off the train at the last Colts station. Are so effective. <laughs> um, but so I mean, yeah. So we've talked about a lot of Sean Tucker. Uh, I think we talked about how his junior year he was his most productive. He had almost 250 carries for almost 1,500 yards on the ground. Also added 20 catches for 255 yards. And then his senior year, he fell off a bit, but still had over a thousand yards, two hundred and six carries, so lost forty carries and four hundred yards, uh, but also added thirty six catches for two hundred fifty yards again. Uh, we also detailed the UVA run game coordinator ter- uh, was na- uh, was hired during his junior year or before his junior year, and was uh, you know putting up the most predictable plays you could have imagined for the Syracuse team, just letting Sean Tucker run it up the middle over and over again, not trying to utilize that speed. But Sean Tucker ran a 4-3 in high school, uh, probably maybe, you know, in the high 4-3s, but has had elite speed in high school. You can only expect that really to get better. He's 5'10", 210, has a good BMI of 30.6. He's only 21 years of age right now. And had a 75th percentile college dominator. Um, look, he went undrafted because he has a heart problem. If this guy didn't have a heart problem, he would have been probably a top five dra- uh, RB draft pick this year. I think he has legit talent. He's a guy all three of us rated, I think, in our top five of the RBs we scouted out of 18 RBs we scouted. And Sean Tucker didn't get drafted. I don't think that's because of his talent. We saw that it's there. We saw he has real speed. He kind of looked like a mini Nick Chubb to me. Maybe it was just because he doesn't play with sleeves, but he, this dude's got big arms. He's a big running back, got good size, and he looks powerful. And he's now he's completely, completely forgotten about in an offense that really has nobody. I mean, they have one running back in Rashad, Rashad White, but they lost Leonard Fournette, and they didn't bring anybody else in to replace him. Like, I think we've seen Keyshawn Vaughn. We've seen that he's, he's not it, but last year, Leonard Fournette had 189 carries and 83 targets. That's a huge role to fill uh, Rashad white. I think will be, end up being that lead back at least in the beginning for sure. He's going to have a bigger role, but he was not efficient at all. He was one of the worst uh, backs in the league in terms of efficiency in running and receiving really didn't show it on any level. He has the size and maybe it was just that, you know, the offensive line had some injuries last year. I won't, I won't discredit that at all. Tom Brady wasn't playing to his best and, you know, they just didn't have it last year. There was a lot, a lot of pieces missing last year, but they continued to use two running backs. And I think Sean Tucker could end up being that guy that fills Rashad White's role this year. And if Rashad White goes down, I don't see a world that Keyshawn Vaughn becomes the number one there. Uh, I think Sean Tucker, as long as he makes this roster, might be the best running back on the team, if not guaranteed, basically, to be the second best runner on that team. Uh, So 
I love Sean Tucker's, you know, mid third price right now, maybe a late third kind of at this point uh, for a 2023 pick, uh, rookie pick, and basically undrafted in most best ball leagues um, and and rookie draft or in uh, redraft leagues right now. So I like Sean Tucker as an as a great bet. I think he's only going to gain more steam if he makes this roster. He's going to probably play very well compared to the other backs in preseason and and, and, and look better than them on the field. He's not there yet. He still you know, hasn't been cleared, uh, but they expect him to be cleared by, uh, by their next, uh, I don't know if it's OTAs or training camp, whichever one's coming next. They expect him to be cleared. So uh, yeah, for training camp. So hopefully that is the case. And the sky's the limit for a guy who, is being completely undrafted, but showed that he can put up 1,500 yards in college in the, in the ACC. Uh, I think it's really the health concerns, and I, I'm praying that he gets over it because you know he doesn't deserve that to go undrafted just because of a medical issue that hasn't impacted his career uh, up to date yet. Hey, I freaking love Sean Tucker. I really, really, really hope that um, he gets cleared and he gets to play in the NFL because um, he was one of my favorite running backs throughout the entire running back scouting process. I had him at my RB3. Uh, going into the uh, actual draft. Um, so I am definitely completely on the Sean Tucker train. I'm super hyped on him. Uh, my only thing was like, I already drafted him in one dynasty league and I don't want to be overexposed to a guy that might never, not ever get a carry in the NFL. Um, but I understand. I like the upside for him is like insane because like you said, he led the ACC, actually led the ACC as a sophomore in rushing yards, had almost 1600 yards it's wild. Um, and he's got legit track level speed. He can hit the home run anytime he has the ball in open space. So I'm very, very excited for him because I do think he is the best running back in this Bucks backfield. Um, so if he gets cleared, uh, like you said, sky's the limit for him. I'm excited for him. Yeah. The only thing I want to add about Sean Tucker, because we've, we've talked about him a lot on the pod, is it's that every year I feel like we try to find like what I think of as like the next Antonio Brown, like, or the next Tyreek Hill, a guy that falls in the draft because of some issue. And uh, like Antonio Brown and Tyreek Hill's uh, cases, it was some character concerns, but they were great talents, you know, and it's all about taking that risk. And with that, uh, that risk at the end of the third round into the fourth round with Sean Tucker, come on i mean take take it you know like who cares you know i mean we talked about eric gray but like sean tucker's talents way better than eric gray's you can get him around the same spot you know i, I mean i think we got to start thinking that way and he's definitely gonna he's definitely gonna be better than Keyshawn vaughn in that scenario for sean white gets hurt so you know you just gotta take on that risk they expect him to be cleared what what else what else is there you know there's not really too much else and if you know god forbid that is his heart issue keeps him from from uh participating in any football activities you wasted a fourth round pick sorry but all right final sleeper today's episode i have not yet decided who i want to speak of but i was thinking jordan mason but i think He's a bit more of a common name. So I'm going to go for a less common name. And I'm going to go with Raheem Blackshear. Raheem Blackshear is running back on the Panthers. He's trending on sleeper now. So he might not be so much of a sleeper moving forward. But I like I like this role that he could carve out here in this new Carolina offense. There's a, th- there's a few positives. 
Uh, he went undrafted out of Virginia Tech, ran the four fives, 100th percentile target share in college at 25% for running backs, which is obviously very good. He's going to be their kick returner, so you don't have to worry about him making the team. And right now he projects as their RB3. He got some decent playing time last year for an undrafted guy. Kind of fought his way through the turmoil that was the Panthers last year. Uh, and I, I'm just curious to see how this plays out. Because, again, a cheap guy. And I think there's a strong chance that he becomes the receiving back on this Panthers offense. Miles Sanders and Chuba, and Chuba Hubbard haven't really done a lot of receiving work in the NFL. And Blackshear is almost purely a receiving type player. Uh, and then when you look at his situation a bit more, uh, Frank Reich has a history of having this type of backfield where you've got the runner and Marlon Mack, you've got the receiver and Naeem Hines. Even when Jonathan Taylor came into town, Naeem Hines stayed a receiving back. And Reich has shown that he likes to utilize this type of offense and that type of player. And I think Blackshear fits physically similarly as Naheem Hines does. They're both kick returners. They both are receiving centric backs. They have similar size. And I know that like it's he's not necessarily like a right guy, he came in undrafted and all that stuff. But again, it's a free it's a free um, shot in the dark here on a guy that could fit over a, a, a role of some history in this Reich offense. And not for nothing, too, it's not like Bryce Young hates throwing to running backs. I mean, I know Jameer Gibbs is on a different planet than Raheem Blackshear. But, I mean, hey, you know, he's used to throwing the ball to running backs. He's used to not throwing it away and checking it down. Uh, it, it just could be a decent, you know, option here, you know. And then let's say into the season, one of Hubbard or one of Sanders gets hurt. You know, Blackshear has been like, you know, rotating in on third downs. Now he has every third down. Now he has every two-minute drill. And he even subs in for some carries uh, to take off some of the load from either Sanders or Hubbard. So, and we know that the Panthers are good at running the ball. We know that Reich's going to want to run the ball. So, you know, I, I don't think that Blackshear is this, like, resounding talent that's ever going to be, like, like a, a main guy in the backfield, uh, in any backfield. But I think this year in particular, there's a chance where there's a couple of games where he's serviceable as a flex role, and you can get him for free. He's about 25% owned on sleeper right now. Um, so yeah, Raheem Blackshear, my third sleeper. Yeah, I mean, basically unowned, like you said, 25% of leagues is extremely uh, low percentage. So yeah, you don't have to give up anything for him. And he is a guy who profiles as a receiving back, and you like that in PPR leagues. I think people kind of assume that's going to be Chuba Hubbard's role, but he only has 40 catches in two years. He's not like a prolific pass catcher. He hasn't been really since he's gotten in the NFL. And we've never really seen that from Miles Sanders. He's never really had um, a fantastic receiving profile, uh, barely used in most years. Um, and so, yeah, I think they absolutely could rotate in a third guy like Raheem Blackshear that profiles as that smaller scat back. Uh, to take on the, on that role, and I think you hit the nail on the head with saying you know Bryce Young does like to throw to his running back. Obviously, Jameer was that different talent. They Alabama used him in that way. They they schemed him touches, but uh, Bryce Young is used to that now. That's what he's seen a lot of in the past year. So I think there's a real chance that that continues. They don't have the best wide receiver core by any stretch of the word in the in any sort of NFL conference division, they're at the bottom anyway, any which way you look at it. So they maybe end up looking for more pass catchers and Raheem Blackshear possibly could get some of those looks. Um, not a guy that, you know, many people are targeting, not a, a, a great name, but 
absolutely could get some touches, especially with an injury to the position, uh, is completely free and fills a role that they they might need there in Carolina. So a guy that I really haven't thought about a lot about, but I do I do like the pick. Yeah, I like I like Raheem Mostert. Uh, sorry, not Raheem Mostert. Uh, Raheem Blackshear too. Um, he was someone that was on my radar at the end of last year, just because he uh, had some opportunities here and there. Um, I don't remember how exactly how he performed in those opportunities, but this this offense is going to run the ball. It's like you guys said that Frank Reich wants to run the ball. So he's going to, and uh, Miles Sanders, uh, he's missed games here and there. Uh, Chuba Hubbard isn't necessarily the biggest back either. He can miss some time as well. Um, and there is a path to Raheem Blackshear getting more work than anybody is anticipating. Uh, I think last year uh, this offense used uh, – they used three running backs, right? They used Chuba Hubbard, Dante Foreman, um, was there anyone else? Blackshear, ro- Blackshear rotated in some. Yeah, it's more of the, the two-headed, but yeah, they use Blackshear occasionally. Okay. Um, well, in any case, I, I do like this pick because, it, like you guys said, he's in, he's completely free. Um, he actually got picked up in uh, one of my dynasty leagues today by, by Dave. Um, so I guess he went to Virginia Tech. So he, there's a familiar face over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and – just to add one last thing too is, you know, what I try to look for in some of these sleepers are not necessarily talents because none of these guys are going to be like incredibly talented. You know, they would have already worked out for them or there'd be more hype around them. Uh, same with their athleticism, but I try to look for guys that like fit into roles well, you know, like guys that could have like a path to a role. Because, uh, you know, I don't, none of these guys are really going to have staying power, you know, of like, someone with that elite traits or elite athleticism. So I think Blackshear, Blackshear profiles for this role well because of Reich, because of Bryce Young, because of being with the Panthers for a year and being a different player from Chuba and Miles Sanders. So I mean Blackshear. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our show for today. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening in uh, to this July 5th episode. Uh, appreciate y'all. Uh, let us know what you think about our sleepers and tune back in next week. Appreciate y'all.